Joining us now, courtesy of the Murdoch Auto Group, it is the play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. David, how are you? Hey, David. I'm good. I know people who started things just so they could pay for their kids' skiing. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Hey, we just got a tweet. Turned out okay. Yeah, 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 no doubt it did. Uh, Got a tweet. Say, hey, Scott and Hans, can you ask David Locke to expound on this? And uh, talked about a tweet that you may have just sent out. No, you didn't. You did not get that tweet. No, we I really did. No, no, no. I, we're looking at it right here. It it actually came to both of us. Our that, good friend Ute Shasta trailer. It might be, is it written by Lloyd Cole? Or is it, who's it written by? Ute Shasta trailer sends in the tweet. I so, David, would you like? Ben, I just thought that I, I'm I'm just a small person. And I thought Ben Simmons' thing about being disrespected or whatever the hell that was about that Rudy Gobert guarded him was maybe the stupidest quote I've ever heard from an NBA player. You know what? If you actually have a game that's outside five feet, they might guard you with someone other than a center. And two, like, what's disrespectful about it? And so I just took a cheap shot about the fact that they gave up 30 points to a guard in every single game of their East West coast road trip while they went one and three. And Ben Simmons is supposedly a defensive player of the year candidate. If he's a defensive player of the year candidate, they might want to guard somebody who's dropping 40 on him. Damian Lillard's gone off. A lot of guys have Darren had their Fox. I mean, seriously, like Royce O'Neal's first team all defense because he guarded Jason Tatum and then he guarded Giannis Azacumbo and then he guarded Jimmy Butler and then he guarded Ben Simmons. Like, yep. that's how you become a first-team all-defensive player. Like, and, you take the assignment, and you own it. Like, and, who guarded – who who did they have guarding Jordan Clarkson last night? All over and the I board. can look it up. Yeah. But it, it wasn't, nobody was good at it. Nope. Um, and the other thing, too, is you look at what Royce did in the fourth quarter against Ben Simmons. Uh, it was pretty dramatic. Right. Um, and frankly, he didn't do much to Rudy either. He was three of seven against Rudy yeah. last night. Yeah. Yep. So, um, I mean, he was great last night. Let's not like, I don't want to be like that guy that you're suddenly like not giving credit to a guy who was great. And you know, we're on top of the hill. Oh, we've won 19 to 20 and now we're just going to be nasty. Everyone that doesn't, that doesn't do us any good. I just, I just thought it was, I didn't get it. And then even I thought doc rivers who doc rivers, I find, really one of the most difficult people for me because I just really admire him and his role in our society and things he's done in social justice and the truth he's spoken and, and the honesty he's had toward things and, and all those kind of things. Um, but at the same time, like if he, you know, could ever just not complain about every call that ever happens, um, that'd be great. And then the secondary one is like his comment that, you know, what we wanted to get, Rudy guarding Ben, so that's like it was almost like let me justify myself so I look good, even though we just lost three in a row. Like, there's a weird quote. Like, I don't know. I didn't get it. I didn't well, get their locker room after the game. I thought that was a little mysterious. By the way, I would like to congratulate Ben Simmons because he actually did guard Jordan Clarkson for portions of three possessions <laughs> last night, according to stats. Um, Jordan went two for two, hitting two threes. He also got fouled um, and hit three free throws. So in those partial of three possessions that Ben Simmons guarded Jordan last night for 0.47 minutes, um, I mean, we only scored nine points, all of them by Jordan. 
so, I mean, that's great. Like, that's fabulous. That's about, uh, you know, I mean, really held him in about three points of possession. So, hey, great. David, help me interpret it a little bit, though, when he said he felt disrespected that Rudy was defending him. I don't understand that. I, I don't. I, I I don't either. Like I don't get it. Like like what? That seems like supreme disrespect? respect. Like, oh my God! Somebody called you out for the fact that you've taken like five three point shots and never made one in your career. Is that was that the disrespect? Like you're three of thirty in your NBA career from three, so maybe it's not. The, and you take ninety seven percent of your shots within thirteen feet, so maybe it's not surprising they guarded you with a center. Yeah. You had a great game. Congratulations. He scored like he scored like twenty points in transition. He's maybe the greatest transition player I've seen in in this era. Like he's probably the greatest transition player since Magic. So LeBron is probably better, but but right up there. The uh, the twelve minute answer to one of Ben Anderson's questions the other day I thought was really fascinating by Quinn Snyder, and he talked about you know good shots and and uh, and they're not uh, they're not your shots, they're our shots, and uh, taking a collective approach behind that. But let me ask you this: How does what is the, what what classifies a good shot? Is there a metric? Is there a system in which the Jazz look at and say that's a good shot? Is it just being open? What is what classifies a good shot in Quinn Snyder's offense? An open three or a dunk, right? Okay. I mean, get the ball at the rim probably first and then get a three second. If it's a ball movement corner three, it's even better. Um, that, and, and I think the biggest philosophical change that Quinn has made with the guys, it, and he talked about this in his, his long answer the other day is that, you know, at one point in time, this organization, they had to really work a possession, right? Advantage basketball, move another shot, another shot of, you know, another pick, another pass, another movement. And, oh, finally, we'll get the shot we need. And it was a grind. That's not how this team's built anymore. These guys can these guys can tickle the twine from anywhere. And so if you get an open look, go. Like, it, you're not, we're probably not getting a better look later in the possession. So go take that shot now yeah. um, and take it quickly. And that's what that's what I really liked about that conversation was everybody talks about early threes. And I know, you know, I was kind of laughing with because uh, I, I could tell that there had been some issues that Ron Boone had probably had. And you were making fun of him last night during the broadcast on taking early transition threes in an offense. But Quinn Snyder said, hey, look, the longer you have the ball, longer there's more chances for things to go wrong. So if you got a good look early in the shot clock, take it. And we used to be a very high possession team or turnover team and. And that's come down, right? And, well, the, you know, the way you don't turn it over is you don't pass it. Yeah. You know, but when we had to lead the league in passes because we were leading the league in picks because we were leading the league in drives because we were leading – like, you're going to turn it over. Like, it, you're just – every there, there really wasn't a lot of choice to, on how you were going to play this. So, at some point, you were going to turn it over in that process. And we've, we've reduced that down by playing a little quicker – um, you know, we're still a high turnover. We're still like right at league average, which is fine when you were the fourth best shooting team and, you know, added this whole element of offensive rebounding we didn't used to have. Um, fine. You turn it over a few times. Just don't make it live ball turnovers, right? That's, that's the difference. 
David, I, I was just looking at uh, the game since Mike Conley was out with injury, and they beat the number one seed 76ers, number two seed Bucks, number four seed Pacers, number five seed Celtics without Mike, Mike Conley on the court. At, at what point will you start missing Mike Conley? How important is he to the success of this Jazz team if they're continuing to win without him? Well, I think you're getting a wear and tear I mean, it's the same thing. I, I were. You know, I think that really the issue for the Lakers is not an issue of like whether their title chances are down because Anthony Davis got hurt, but like LeBron's going to have to play a larger load, and um, Marcus Gasol's going to have to play more minutes. Like Joe's, I think actually putting together this best six-game stretch of his NBA career. I'd I'd be curious statistically if you can find a a better stretch for him than what he's than what he's done in the last six games. He's averaging 15 points, four rebounds, six assists. He's shooting 53% and 45% from three. Um, he's actually gone to the line a few times. Um, you know, he's just been as good as I've ever seen him. The only concern there is, you know, if you go look at that, he's in the last five specifically, he's gone over 30 minutes in every one of them. He's playing 33 minutes a game. That, that's too many minutes for Joe at this age for a long extended period of time. We had not played Joe over 30 minutes in any game all season, other than like the, I think early on against Portland, the Clippers or Phoenix and Clippers, he did, but when then that led to the injury where he suddenly missed some time. So, but you don't have a choice right now. He's your backup point guard. And frankly, been your best point guard. Um, so I think the, the impact on the Mike Conley, Injury is just the wear and tear. We have this incredible depth, and we're showing that right now, but it's the wear and tear that becomes the issue. You uh, you also made mention on the broadcast last night that there might be a little bit of concern around the team about this team getting tired, not just even physically, but the, uh, you know, the, the toll of a long winning streak and playing at such a high level can bring with it. Um, it, it, it do, you, do you get the sense that that's a real issue, and, uh, and, and how can you uh, overcome something like that? Well, I think traditionally um, teams that go on long win streaks usually lose, like they come out of the win streak and like lose a few in a row, right? Yeah. Um, we didn't do that. We actually just kept the winning streak going. Uh, I think there was a feeling, and that the loss is getting more and more impressive by the day. Like, I actually think that's the thing about the streak. It's like that, if that's what it takes to lose, like that's what's jumping out to me at this point is how impressive the loss is. Um, and so when I look at this right now and, and analyze this team, I, I mean, I, the shooting was better last night at 40%, but I mean, you see Boyan go 0 for 6. Like some of our shooting numbers to me are a tired basketball team, 26% against Miami. Uh, we didn't shoot it great against Milwaukee in the second half. 31% against Indiana was clearly a tired team. Boston's a pretty good defensive team. So I, I just think there have been signs of of just a – you know, we've had some bad defensive nights. Like, I just don't – like, they're really good. They'll misunderstand me. But I think this is just – there's a lot to this. And there's a – their intensity level and their focus and their engagement level is, has been crazy high. There's a reason – there's a reason why teams don't do that. It's hard. It's really, really hard. And so I think that there's a, a moment where there's got to be – where some fatigue happens here. So, so, David, how do the Clippers come into this back-to-back, coming starting tomorrow? Do they, do they come in? Because I know guys have been sitting, and they've been resting, and guys, you got guys injured, and I think they had four of their starters out the other night. Like, do they try to come in fully loaded to make a point, or 
do they just look at this like, well, we'll just do what we need to continue to do to be ready for the postseason? Well, I mean, I think you understand this probably better than any of us. Hands like you get like world class athletes, give them a challenge. It's pretty exciting, right? Oh yeah, very much. Like right, like playing Cleveland and Chicago and Minnesota is probably not. They've been playing some games here recently where they you know they lost to Sacramento. They slept through a midday loss to Sacramento. The Clippers notoriously even you know over the years has been just terrible um, on those afternoon games, and that was with Kawhi. Um, I think PG's foot is real, so I you know I don't know. Um, but anyway, I mean, they've just played a bunch of games that aren't particularly exciting. Like, I'm sure they amped up for that Brooklyn game on February 2nd, and they probably amped up for Boston, which both of which they lost, by the way. Um, so I'm sure they're excited to play these two games. they got two games at home. They're against the hottest team in the league. And, they, they, you know, this is a unique – they're reading all of the Jazz press clippings. I mean, the Jazz are the team right now, right? They're number one in every power ranking. Every article's been written about them. Um, and so they are – you know, everyone – you know, they've read our press clippings. They're excited. I'm sure they're fired up to play. And they're just as good as we are right now, frankly. If you kind of look at the numbers, they, they're, they've been, they started the year about six and four, and now they're 21 and eight. So they've clicked in at a pretty high level. I, I think they're, they're amazingly loaded. I think they're great. If you haven't seen it, I, I apologize for putting you on the spot. Where's your reaction to Draymond Green and his comments last night? Um, I love Draymond for his willingness to speak intelligently, thoughtfully, and um, or thoughtfully. You, I guess, intelligence might be determined. But I mean, thoughtfully, he's thought it through. There was yeah. there was a logic, yeah. and and he'll express it. Right? You can decide whether you think he's right or not, and sometimes that determines whether you think it's an intelligent comment or not. So I really respect that. I think that's a classic example of where I go to Stephen Covey and say, let's try to understand this from his lenses. And I thought he really expressed his lenses. You can decide there's someone out there who probably heard that and said, well, you're an employee, not a, and they're an owner. So they get to do that. I, I don't think the players think that they're employees. Like, and I think that they think they're of the product and I think they're right. Um, and I think that's the paradigm switch that's different in our league. And his point is that you're humiliating and damaging part of your product by making Andre Drummond sit on the side of the bench and, uh, you know, in street clothes. And I, I think there's, um, I think there might be more to the story than we know. Um, you know, there's a level in that where Cleveland goes to Andre Drummond and says, Hey, we're about to start Jared Allen. You're going to come off the bench. Like, or, you know, or maybe you're going to even DNP. Like, would you rather just have us announce that we're going to trade you and have you sit rather than us humiliate you with a DNP. And for all we know, you know, Kobe Altman is a pretty high-level dude. Um, the GM of the Cleveland Cavaliers actually went to that level and communicated to him, and there's actually been really good communication. There are plenty of circumstances in which players are treated as products, and that environment does – Is I think that is Draymond's point, is that players should not be treated as products any longer, and that – and that owners should be held to the same criticism level as players. That's what he's asking for. Yeah. And it's related to the whole social justice issue of race, because in most cases we're talking about a white owner and a black player and the double standard of how they're treated is, um, I thought was clear in that comment, which was let's like, let's stop. I think at least personally for me, 
one of the things I think we need to do on the social justice front is stop being scared to mention when that's the issue that's really being stated. I thought that was a large part of what Draymond was saying is that, like, fine, I've got James Harden doing something and he gets annihilated for it. And then the, the owner does basically the same thing and doesn't get touched. Like, the, he, I think he, that's my feeling um, as, you know, of, of what was being said inside of that. And I think it's important that we discuss those things. I, I hope I'm not misrepresenting Draymond. Well, David, appreciate it, man. Great stuff. Uh, keep up the fire on Twitter, and we'll keep retweeting. Well, and, I was uh, going to send out the following tweet today. I decided not to do it because um, I thought it was really funny, and I didn't think it would go off. Well, I guess Bill Simmons said Ben Simmons was his defensive player of the year, and I was going to tweet out that it's really hard to follow the NBA while building a podcast network. <laughs> oh, that's great. Thanks, David. See ya. See ya. David Locke right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.